What up, folks? Long time no see. How we doing tonight? That was so lame. How are we doing tonight, my friends? Good. Good. Hey, it, it's been a while, so I figured I'd reintroduce myself for those of you who may not know who I am. My name is Matt Velasco. Such a privilege to be with you tonight. I am the pastor here of Next High School, and it is my privilege every single week to be with you. Uh, you've noticed by now that we say something a lot around these parts. We say that we believe that Wednesday night is what? the best night of the week. And we firmly believe that. And we don't just believe it because free food and shirts and hats and Sam and Jacob. Uh, P.S. Sam, please stand. Sam, 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 can you tell the people what happened this past weekend? Yeah! Okay, sit down. Sit down. I'm so excited. Um, it's not just because of people like Sam and his engagement and Jacob and the worship and all that stuff that we think tonight's the best night of the week. It's because we know that God has a funny way of showing up on special ways here at Next on Wednesday night. So if you're here for the first time, I'm so glad that you are here. I hope you love it. I hope you want to come back next week. In fact, I'll even say, like, please, personally, I'm inviting you to come back next week because I want to see more of you. I think God can radically impact your life here at Next High School or here, any youth ministry that you go to, but I'm a little biased towards uh, Next High School, obviously. So thanks for being here. <clears throat> um, it's been a while, guys. It's been a long while. I survived COVID. Praise God. Praise God. Coffee tastes rotten. Not praise God. Not praise God. That's, that's rough. I'm going to tell you a story. Mrs. Bertha Adams. First of all, what a name. Bertha Adams. Bertha. Honey, what do you want to name our baby girl? Bertha. <laughs> Sorry if your name's Bertha. Mrs. Bertha Adams was 71 years old when she died alone in P West Palm Beach, Florida, on Easter Sunday of 1976. The coroner's report read, cause of death, malnutrition. She had died of starvation after wasting away to 50 pounds. The state would do an investigation of her home, and they found, and I quote, a pig pen, the biggest mess you can imagine. One seasoned inspector declared that he had never seen a home in greater disarray. Bertha had been known for begging for food at her neighbor's doors and had gotten what clothes she wore from the Salvation Army. From all appearances, Mrs. Bertha Adams was a penniless loner. She was a penniless recluse, a forgotten widow. But when they were searching through her home after she passed away, they found two interesting objects that were similar, two keys that belonged to two safety, or uh, what are they called, safety boxes or whatever they are, uh, at two local banks. They went to the first local bank and they used the key and they opened up the, the lockbox and they found inside of it 700 AT&T stock certificates. 
dozens, hundreds of other investment bonds, bonds, certificates, and $200,000 in cash. They went to the next bank, they opened up that safety lock box, and they found no investment portfolio, no stocks, no bonds, no certificates, just $600,000 in cash. Mrs. Bertha Adams was a millionaire and then some. Yet she died of starvation. Her life is an extreme parable of the dangers of materialism, which promises so much but cannot give us what we need most. See, our society is constantly telling us that to live life at its best means to have more and more and more possessions and pleasures. But as Christians, we should know that this is just plain false. But even if we do know this, the temptation to want more is still there. We walk the balance beam between simplicity and excess, and we claim to want nothing but Jesus and live, and yet live in such a way that says we want as much as we can and Jesus. Sadly, some of us lose our balance or will lose our balance or have lost our balance, and the results are devastating. Luckily, Jesus knew and knows the condition of the human mind and heart. And he gave us wisdom for such a moment as this. Uh, in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21, you can turn there. It will be on the screens for you also. Jesus tells us in easy-to-remember terms how we should relate to the world. In a world booby-trapped with snares even more subtle than materialism, Jesus provides wisdom that will guide us safely across the way. So Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21 says this. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let's pray. Jesus, receive our worship tonight. Lord, I pray that our hearts would not be divided. Lord, that we would have our hearts solely set on you. I pray for these students as they receive tonight's message. I pray for these leaders. I pray for me. I pray for everyone in this room that tonight we would hear your words and it would change the way we live. Lord, we love you. We praise things in your name. Amen. So Jesus here in Matthew 6 is in the midst of a series of sermons or monologues known as the Beatitudes or the Sermon on the Mount. It is one of the longest monologues that he goes on, if not the longest monologue that he goes on, where he is literally sitting on a hill. If you're a senior and you go to Israel or you go to Israel in the future, we have a class called Foundations for our seniors, and at the end of it, you get to go to Israel. I went, you should go. Um, but literally sitting on a mountain with people, probably hundreds of people sitting at the bottom of this hill, hearing him. 
And, and he just goes on and on preaching. And, and he said things that seemed to be contradictory to those who were listening to him. In fact, many of the portions of scripture that you grew up hearing about or memorizing are found in this discourse. He talks about things like anger, lust, divorce, oaths, retaliation, your enemies, giving to the needy, praying, fasting, anxiousness, judgment, the list goes on. But tonight, we're going to talk about what I think is one of the simpler lessons found in the Sermon on the Mount. And it's simple, not because it is easy to apply or because we can just graze over it quickly. But it's simple because Jesus makes it abundantly clear why this matters. He states it clearly when he says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Tonight we're starting a new series called Heart of the Issue, which is just a two-week series that aims to take an authentic look at what is below the surface and in the heart, in your heart. And this week, every week, I like to give you a question that we're going to be asking, a question that I want you to be pondering. And, and this week, it's simple. Where is your heart? Where is your heart? Jesus tells us <clears throat> that we can find the location of our heart by finding the location of our treasure. And so I'll ask you it in a different way. Where is your treasure? Tonight's message is titled, There's No Such Thing as a Divided Heart. And that's going to be the lens through which we look at this idea of storing up treasure. The reality is that most of us have treasure in things not named Jesus, which means our heart isn't in Christ either. And so if that is the case, then we need to know how in the world we lay up treasures in heaven so that our heart can be there too. And a point of clarification, if you're new to the church or you're new to Christianity, I'm not talking your literal heart. I'm talking about the idea of when we talk about, well, I'm so in love, I, I can feel it in my heart, that like, that like metaphorical feeling of love and whatever else it might be, the heart of the human being, not the organ, but the thing that makes us al alive, philosophically, one might say. Tonight, we're going to be talking about where we can find our heart or how we can find our heart. If it's, if it's the case that our heart isn't in Christ because our treasures are in something not named Jesus, then we need to know how in the world we lay up treasures in heaven so that our hearts can be there too. So tonight we're going to talk about three things that you can do in order to lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. You'll see these on the screen. You must treasure Christ, serve Christ, and trust Christ. Matt, I want my heart to be stored up in heaven. These are the three things that you have to do in order for that to be the case. And we're going to go one by one, starting with treasure Christ. Friends, did you know that anything that you treasure in place of Jesus is dangerous? Anything you treasure in place of Christ, who is Jesus, is dangerous? If you have it, Whatever it is that you are treasuring, 
and you depend on it, it will kill you. If you don't have it, whatever it is that you treasure, and you crave it, it will kill you. Whatever it is that is dividing your heart for Christ can and will kill you because your treasure shows your heart. And a heart without Christ is dead. And so you might be asking, why in the world does this matter to me, Matt? Because if you don't treasure Christ, you will die. Whatever you treasure apart from Christ will kill you. Basketball will kill you if you spend all of your time practicing and none of your time praying. Your boyfriend or your girlfriend will kill you if you spend all of your time chasing intimacy with them and none of your time chasing intimacy with Jesus. Money will kill you if you spend your whole life trying to grow your bank account and none of your time trying to grow your knowledge of Jesus. Dance will kill you if you spend all of your time memorizing a routine and none of your time memorizing scripture. Do you see the deadly nature, the danger of treasuring something other than Christ? Let me tell you a story. You can find the story in Luke 12. I'm going to summarize it. Jesus tells a story about a farmer. The ancient farmer was like the modern investor. The amount of crops that they had determined the wealth that they had. So the modern investor, the amount of investments that you have determines the wealth that you have. And there was this, this farmer who had a wildly successful year. Think the best year of the stock market, right? They bought Tesla when it first came out, 1,000 shares. Before you know it, it's over $500 a pop or whatever it might be. And at the end of the year, he looks at his crops and his barns are overflowing. And he asks this question. He says, what will I do with my extra crops? Where shall I put them? What shall I do? What's happening over there? Everyone's looking. Whatever it is. Whatever it is, let's not let it happen. He, he, he's looking at his barns. They are overflowing. So he says, what in the world am I going to do? How am I going to keep my wealth? And so this is what he does. He decides to build bigger and better barns to hold all of his crops. And after he builds them and all of his wealth is stored up in these barns, he says to himself, self, let's stop, let's sit down, let's eat and drink and be merry. And God says to him, you fool, this very night your soul will be required of you. He says, you foolish person, tonight you're going to die. And what of all of your possessions? Whose will they be? And then Jesus says this crucial sentence. You'll see it on the screen in verse 21 of Luke 12. So is the one. That means the person who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. You fool. 
Tonight your soul will be required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with the one who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich towards God. So what in the world does that statement mean, rich towards God? Does it mean give God a lot of money? No. Being rich towards God doesn't mean enrich God. It means to count God as your riches. Laying up for yourself treasures in heaven is to maximize God as your treasure. It means to treasure Christ. The problem with the rich farmer that Jesus talked about wasn't the fact that he stored up. It wasn't the fact that he saved. It's the fact that he saved up and then placed his trust in those savings. See, it's not a problem to invest, to save for college, to save for that big thing you've always wanted, but it is a problem when you place your hope and your trust and your heart in those savings. Hey, whatever's happening over there, Ethan, no more. It's done. Whatever it is. Make it stop. Thank you. Being rich towards God doesn't mean to enrich God. It means to count God as your riches. Laying up for yourself treasures in heaven is to maximize God as your treasure. It means to treasure Christ. The problem is where you place your heart. When those things that aren't Christ become your treasure. Whether it's how you handle your money, how you love your neighbor, how you speak, or how you spend your time, do those things in such a way to show the people around you that God, not anything else, is your treasure. I want you to imagine something. Imagine you and me, we hung out for a week. From 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., we hung out all day for one week straight. From the moment you got ready for school and you went off to school, you did school, you went to practice, you came home, you did your homework, all of that stuff, we were together. If at the end of that week, I look back on how you spent your time, would I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that what you treasure above all else is Jesus? Let's, let's make it even simpler. One day, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., today, before you came here, I shadowed you for 12 hours, 8 hours, however long it is. Would I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that what you treasure most is Jesus Christ? Or would I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that what you treasure above all else is your boyfriend, your girlfriend, Basketball, dance, hockey, music, movies, money, or even your friends. Friends, no one can serve two masters. There's no such thing as a divided heart. Matthew continues in verse 24 in chapter 6. He says, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So this brings us to our second point, serve Christ. 
What does it mean to serve money? What does it mean to serve whatever it is that you treasure other than Jesus? Understanding what this means, what it means to serve something who isn't named Jesus, will actually help us understand what it means for us to serve God. So, like, let's just think about it practically. It's not like George Washington's mouth on a dollar bill is talking to you, telling you what to do. Or to think, I thought about this, and it's really creepy, but I'm saying anyways. You know that, like, grippy stuff on basketballs? Imagine if each of those little grippy things was a mouth talking to you, telling you what to do. It's a creepy image, but let's just imagine that. That's not the case, and yet we serve it anyways. So what does it mean? To serve money or whatever it is, fill in the blank, means to calculate all of your behaviors, all of your life, do what you do to maximize what benefits can come to you from that thing. What benefits can come to you through from money. It means to be thinking, how can I maximize how much money I make? That would be serving money. And friends, you can replace money with whatever form of currency you want. It could be your time, it could be your friends, or it could be your possessions. And so then what does it mean to serve God? I don't want to complicate it because it's the exact same. To serve God means to calculate all of your behaviors, all of your life. Do what you do to maximize the pleasures you can get from God. All of the benefits you can get from God in Christ. All that God can be for you. What do I mean when I say benefits? Because let's be honest, we think about how Christianity has been shaped today and we're like, wait, get stuff from God? Are you talking about like vending machine God? I press the right buttons and God gives me what I want. It's not what I'm talking about. But we also have to realize about Christianity is there's stuff in it for us. Like there's a reason why we give up everything to follow Jesus. And so if you're thinking, it's, well, Christianity is just a set of rules that when you do it, things go right for you. That's not how it works, but I can tell you that we have a God who's really good and wants to give us rich blessings. And I can tell you that when you follow Jesus, life doesn't get easier, but the hard in life gets easier because of these things that we call the fruits of the Spirit. So when we serve God, we get love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and more importantly than anything else, grace and mercy through salvation, which saves us from our sins. Why should I serve God? Because he will save you. You know what can't save you? Money. You know, statistics actually say that the richest people are the most unhappy people in the world. And you know what people also say is, well, I just want to be really rich. And you know, I'm going to make someone uncomfortable because someone has thought this in this room. And I would say probably a lot of us. I want to make a lot of money for Jesus so that I can give a lot of it away. Do you know how often that actually happens? Almost never. People make a lot of money and then they realize they can buy a lot of stuff. Before you know it, they're giving the same amount that they gave 
when they just graduated from college. You cannot serve God and money or fill in the blank these ways. They are mutually exclusive. Either you are aiming to make God your treasure in everything or aiming to make money or whatever it is your treasure in everything. And the only way to increase in that treasure is to serve whatever it is by devoting your whole life to receive more of it. Friends, to lay up treasures in heaven by serving Christ means to calculate all of your behavior to maximize the benefits that you have in God through Jesus Christ. Luke writes in Luke chapter 12, verses 32 and 34, and I love how it starts. You'll see it on the screen. It says, fear not little flock. Fear not little flock. For it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. You'll see the similarity there to Matthew 6. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Do you see the connection between laying up for yourselves treasures in heaven and sell your possessions, give to the needy, and provide yourself with money bags that don't grow old because there's a thread that connects all of them? You have providing yourself money bags and treasures that never grow old and giving to the needy. Jesus is saying to us, this is the way you do that. You want to store up treasures in heaven, sell your possessions, and give to the needy. Thus, provide for yourself treasures in heaven. And we read that in, the, in our modern English vernacular. And it's like, okay, hey, one time, sell your possessions, give to the needy. We read it as if Jesus is saying, sell everything you own and donate it to the Salvation Army. Or give all your, give, sell everything, sell your PlayStation, sell your car, and give to Samaritan's Purse. That's not what Jesus is saying, because the Greek word there, it, it, it doesn't mean a momentary thing. It means a lifestyle. So Jesus is saying, live a lifestyle of giving to the needy. Live a lifestyle of selling your possessions and giving to the needy. Is he saying you can't own things? Of course not. What he's saying is, does your heart care more about the needy or does your heart care more about the clothes on your back? Heart check. And I'll actually tell you where I stand on this. Your parents come to you. Hey, Matt, we're not buying you gifts this year. I'm giving you all the money I would have spent on you, and you can go find the neediest person in your school and give it to them in cash. What's your response? Anger, jealousy, that's not fair. Or is it, that's so much better than anything I could have ever gotten. I'll tell you this, if my parents or if my wife said that to me tomorrow, I'd be pretty upset. Because there's stuff I want. But God, Jesus, is saying, live a life where you give to the needy. So how do you store up for yourselves treasures in heaven by trusting Christ? It's our third point. 
You take your money, you take whatever your treasure is, and you show your freedom from it. You say to it and those around you, this thing is not my God. It is not my treasure. My God is Jesus. This is not my treasure. You love people and you want people to love your God, so you are displaying the love of God by sharing with people more and more and more, and in doing that, your joy in heaven and in God increases. Friends, how many of you need more joy? Rhetorical question. You don't have to raise your hand. I was driving the other day, and I thought to myself, I was praying, because I'm super spiritual and super holy, um, and, and I was praying in the car. And... Um, I got to this point where I was just kind of rambling. You know when you're like praying, you're just kind of like rambling. You don't even know what you're saying at this point. You're like not your mind isn't even in it, but it's just like I'm praying because it's the right thing to do. And I come to a point, I stop. I'm on 494, the worst highway in the whole entire world. I'm on 494, except for when you get to the Mall of America. That's the best part of 494. Um, or you get to the airport and you're going to Disney World. Those are the two things good about 494. You don't care. So I'm, I'm praying. And I literally said to the Lord, I was like, Lord, I need more joy. Like I don't have joy in my life right now. I don't have joy. Like, I just want joy, God. Like, I just want joy. I don't want happiness. I want joy. And then I sit down. This is on Monday, and I start writing this message, and I come to this point. And I say, by sharing with people more and more and more, and in doing that, your joy in heaven and in God increases. I write those words, and I realize I'm not doing that. Like, I'm not living this lifestyle. Like, bare minimum. Jay and I are like, or I, she didn't, she's a much better person than me. It's true. But I'm like, we're getting to Christmas, and it's like, hey, we give this much to the church, and it's like Christmas presents. I mean, where are we going to find that in the budget? And I'm like, we could just give less this month. I thought that. There's such a heart issue. When the thing I need to do, the thing we need to do is to sacrificially live. I'm on a big Uncrustables kick right now when they're like slightly frozen. It's true. They're so good. They're a little crunchy. So good. Where's he going with this? I don't know for sure, but I'm going to see if I can get there. Maybe for you, the way you can receive joy is when there's someone next to you at lunch tomorrow, Friday, and they can't afford to eat. They've run out of money and their parents can't give them any more money in their lunch fund or whatever it's called at school now because holidays are around, whatever it might be, and you have whatever the equivalent of an uncrustable is in your hand. Just give it to them. You might think, I don't want to. Just do it. Just do it. You might think, if I give this much away to the church or to a ministry that cares for the poor or whoever else it might be, I may not have enough. He knows that. Jesus knows we think that. Or he knows that if we give up whatever we treasure most, we may be fearful of the anxiety or the pain that comes with letting it go. What does Jesus say? He says, fear not, little flock. Fear not, little flock. What's that mean? Well, if we're a flock, that means God is our shepherd. And he doesn't stop there. He goes, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure. So he is a father and a shepherd. 
And he says, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And so he is a king too. He says to us, I am your shepherd, I am your father, and I am your king. And here we are worried. Right? Like here, here we are worried that if we give away part of our lunch, we're going to go hungry. Or here we are worried that if we give away $50, we're not going to have the amount of money we need to buy the new Halo campaign when it comes out in January. Or here we are worried that if we do this or that, we're not going to have enough to buy our boyfriend or girlfriend a gift that they're going to forget about in a year. He says, fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Jesus is piling up pictures of himself. And I know I'm going long. I'm wrapping up here. He says, Jesus piling up pictures of himself to take away our fear of giving away our treasure. He is a father and a shepherd and a king. Do you know shepherds know everything the sheep need in order to provide for them? Do you know that fathers have an incredible care for their kids, and if they don't, then they're not being a father? Do you know that kings have the authority and the power to get it done? And he is saying he is all of that to you, for you. So don't be afraid. Trust Christ. Friends, Jesus is telling us to be lavish and generous givers, not just of money, but of our time, our love, our care, our gifts, you name it. So if I put it simply, and if you walk away understanding one thing tonight, let it be this. The meaning of laying up treasures in heaven is first to treat Christ as your treasure and then show him how much he is your treasure by giving and giving and giving to those in need while trusting that Jesus will provide for you. Hebrews 13, 5 through 6. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can say confidently, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Mrs. Bertha Adams had money. She had wealth, and yet she died lonely and starved. Let her story be a warning. A heart placed in anything other than Christ will steal from you your joy and your hope. Let's pray. Jesus, help make our students free from the fear of giving. Lord, would these students be the most lavish and generous givers that their schools have ever seen? For your sake, Jesus. Amen.